The following is brought to you in association with and from a proud partner of the Shining Wizards Network. Entertainment here. This is Radioactive Metal, your source for news, views, tunes, and interviews. Here are your hosts, Snowy, Rock, Corrine, and Aaron. What's up, everyone? Welcome to a super duper episode of Radioactive Metal. This is episode 672, and I'm Snowy White. And this is Aaron. And dear listeners, you need True Cult Coffee in your life. T-R-V-E-K-V-L-T-Coffee.com. It is the blackest, hottest coffee you're ever going to find. It's not just coffee with like a cool name or whatever like this is made by metalheads for metalheads they're cool people that put it out the coffee really is good coffee i'm not a coffee guy i've actually tried it because that's me i i can't endorse a product unless i can at least say something honest about it and i don't like coffee but i did enjoy this you Mm -hmm. know I really enjoyed this coffee and I was surprised. I'm like, oh, okay. And I understood like the different notes and things that they talk about on the True Call Coffee website. Like, oh, it has these flavors and this flavors. And, you know, I guess that's a thing. But growing up, coffee was Folgers or Maxwell House in a tin can. And I tried to drink it and my grandparents all the time and I couldn't. And like this coffee and... People are probably going to like throw up when I say this, but it's it's like the craft beer of coffee. Like there's there's something to it. Somebody's curating. Somebody's like really taking passion behind it, you know. And that's why I like craft beers because it's somebody's like, okay, here's how we brew this shit. But what if we did this? And you get mm-hmm. flavors and things. And it's like it's enjoyable, right? And so that's why I love True Call Coffee. Now, currently, I will not be drinking a hot coffee. If I drink coffee, it would be iced coffee because my <laughs> air conditioning's out here. Uh-oh. Yeah, so when you say hotter than a church in Norway, uh, this coffee is hotter than a house in South Carolina. Let me tell you that. <laughs> so what's going on with you, Snowman? Well, myself, before we jump into everything, I do have a cup of True Cobalt coffee going in my Number of the Beast mug here which is always enjoyable it's a good way to start the um the good way to start the weekend and of course like like i can i concur with you like i listen to a lot of other podcasts you know pro wrestling podcasts and they just 
oh, some of the stuff that they just push that just has like absolutely nothing to do with the product or anything. Why anyone that involves or enjoys that certain topic? Well, why would they even care about this product? This doesn't make any sense. Now you get a, you get, uh, and I don't like the word product, but you get this cool thing put together by Coffee Bean Occulta. You know that it's a metal product made by a metalhead for the love of coffee and metal and all that. So that's why, you know, we've always gotten behind this company and we will continue to with everything that's kind of going on before we do jump into everything. Uh, here, right now, as we speak, we want to say hello and happy birthday, and it's kind of apropos seeing that October is coming up, but it's Elvira's birthday today. Yes. Yeah, who turns? <laughs> okay, no, you know what? I'm not going to say not going to say her age. Well, I'm she's a living the... corpse. Does it matter? <laughs> you know? She's got she's got to be, what, a thousand years old by now? You know? Okay. What, when you El... turn a thousand, does anybody care anymore? Okay, well, Elvira might not care, but I think Cassandra Peterson might... Uh... Well, Cassandra Peterson's <laughs> a different story. We're talking about Elvira, Mistress oh, of Night right okay, now. yeah. Well, then, of course, yeah. God, you goodness. Know, she's, she's timeless. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, that tarkens me back to when I was a teenager, right before I started dating the now the now Mrs. Snowy and all that. And I had that huge life-size of Elvira poster in my bedroom. And I remember the first time, you know, inviting her over and seeing my humble abode. She wasn't too impressed, I don't think, with that big poster. And the one of Linnea Quigley as well. Really wasn't her thing. No, no. Um... Uh, you may recall just recently we were going on this show about how the Winnipeg hardcore punk band Propagandy were doing a homecoming show in early October here. And it sold out the 600-seat venue in like 30 seconds. Yeah. Because up here in the hardcore punk community, the heavy music scene in Winnipeg, they're they're like you know Elvis in Nashville or or uh, Memphis. Okay, so yeah, a second show was then added for the next night, October tenth. Well, hang on, I I just have to get a little clarification along that reference. So you're saying they're dead? No, <laughs> they like peanut butter and banana sandwiches, and they have no, a big mansion that people tore through. They're they're Is that what we're saying. No, no, oh, no, they are very much alive. Oh, they're not dead. Killing. That's they're important. Not... That's good to know. Okay. Yes, yes. Because after that show sold out, like in 30 seconds, they added a, a second one the next night, October 10th. Okay. And I think that sold out too because just yesterday, Ninja Cat Production announced a third propaganda show for the night before october 8th same venue same bands same everything so that's gonna be three nights in a row that's this this amazing band is going to be killing it on stage here in winnipeg so awesome. really looking forward to that. Oh, it's gonna be a busy weekend okay because i'm gonna be gonna be part of the crew i'm gonna be helping bring in the gear Okay, I'm going to be doing the snowy thing, I'm sure, talking to some bands and all that. 
it's time, time to get those action interviews going again. And uh, I'm going to help take down the stage and put the gear away and all of that good stuff. So I'm really looking forward to that weekend. What I'm looking forward to even more, our former co-host is Sky, of course, as we know. she It's a family business now, the Bulldogs Event Center, where they're running their own venue. And they announced for November 13th. The legendary DOA are coming to town. No shit. Yeah, yeah, of course. Our longtime listeners will know who DOA is. We've, we've played them many times on the show, and I spoke to the main man, Joey Shithead, Mr. Keithley, on on here. And um, so really, really looking forward to that. But what's extra, extra, extra killer yeah. is our good buddy, Ducky, Dustin Maruka. His punk band shit happens is yeah. going to be jerking the curtain that night. No way, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, he's supporting the mighty DOA. So really looking forward to that. So show-wise everything is off and running up here for me again. Oh, oh, and just the other day I uh picked up a couple of tickets for Helix as well. The the Hard Rock Canadian band. Wow. It's going to be coming through town. Pretty soon. So, yeah, so stoked. Everything is off and running. Um, let's get this show off and running with this week's mandatory metal segment, courtesy of True Cavalt Coffee. Mortiskald. There's a name from the past. Unfortunately, Okay, brutal death metal band that's, that kind of started the same time as the early 90s death metal boom with the Morbid Angels, the obituaries, the deaths, and all that. Like, that whole scene, the deicides, and all that. Unfortunately, though, Mortis Skull never really captured the underground attention like a lot of their contemporaries had. But they still had a hell of a go at it in 2011. The good folks at Relapse Records put out a compilation of Mortiskull's old older demos called Through the Eyes of Death. So for True Cavalt Coffee, I want to drop a track from said record and from their older demos as well. This is Mortiskull with Sacrificial Rite.
we've been very busy this week. Here's our metal fix. But hey, dude, what's going on? Well, um, I'm trying to sign in all my shit so I can figure that out. Because I write this stuff down and then I don't remember shit. Um, and it has been, it's been a week, man. So I'm, you know, in the South. I don't have air conditioning. And like currently the excuse is COVID, right? Because that's everybody's excuse for everything. And I know that there are times when, yes, COVID really is the right excuse. But there are times where I think it's a crutch because down here, I hear of this story all the time. Like, so we, our, our air conditioner is only a year and a half old. And that's the thing that my contractor can't get his head around is the fact that what I'm upset about is not just the fact that like it's busted and, you know, they can't get apart because supply chains and COVID. Okay. I understand that. Like that sucks, but it's only a year and a half old. Like there's nothing wrong with our old air conditioner. We were advised that, you know what, you probably want to start thinking about replacing it now before it breaks. And then, you know, you're stuck in a bind. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right, because with our luck, it would break in the middle of summer like this one has. And it's like, so we were sold on the reliability of this thing, and it's not reliable. It's a year and a half old. So, like, what the fuck? So that's a whole, whole crazy story to itself. But I just, it blows my mind that in the South here, that we're not better with air conditioning. Because I can tell you up north, they don't fuck around when it comes to heat. Mm-hmm. Like, nobody oh, yeah. fucks around with that. They're like, nope, okay, here's what we're going to do. Because if your heat goes out, well, then your pipes can freeze and burst. And, like, there's all these things that can happen. And down here, it's the same thing. Like, if it gets too hot, the seals in my toilets will start, start melting. You know? Uh-huh. So, it's like, we've really got to keep this house cool, but no sense of urgency. And, like, yeah, I know everyone's like, oh, well, COVID, nothing you can do now. Yeah. I, and I'd agree with that if I hadn't heard these stories long before COVID. Like, since mm-hmm. I've been down here, I hear the same thing. Anytime somebody's air conditioner goes out in the summer, oh, yeah, it's been like a month. They couldn't get the part. Like, how is that a thing down here? Like, like how are we not? You can't, yeah. That, you know? Like, just shit you'd think they'd be like, oh, yeah, you're really good at it. Like, yeah, it makes no sense. But I digress. So, Snowy, Halloween is upon us. We are, you know, getting there. Like we're about halfway through the month of September. That means we only have a couple weeks till October first, which I'm mm-hmm. excited. Like the new Adams Family animated feature is coming out October first. The new Hotel Transylvania is coming out October first. My kids are excited for that. But then, just this past Thursday, launched on Magic the Gathering, which we've been talking about on this show a lot, actually, because of oh, the yeah. middle series they did, but. Innistrad Midnight Hunt. So Innistrad is the, the the gothic horror plane of Magic the Gathering, right? And I'm still trying to wrap my head around all this stuff, but essentially they create different worlds. And every world has its own story. So when they release a new card set, they release a new story within this different world. And I think this is like the third Innistrad set, because I think there was Innistrad, then there were Shadows over Innistrad. And then this one is being split into two releases for the same set. So this set is Innistrad Midnight Hunt. This is the werewolf set. And then in November is Crimson Vow, which is the vampire set. So uh-huh. as you can imagine, for like the next three months, I'm a kid in a candy store. <laughs> um, I, I've been playing every day for a long time now to save up gold so I could buy 
because the cool thing with this game is like yes you can spend money like real money but if you just play every day and win some challenges you can save up gold so i had like close to 150,000 gold i think no maybe it's only like 130,000 but i had 130,000 gold so i got like mastery passes and all these different special art releases like cosmetic stuff and my buddy was teasing me about it he's like he's like yeah he's like I don't do the cosmetic stuff because it doesn't help with gameplay. I'm like, you're right. I said, but you have to understand why I play it. Like, I enjoy, and this ties into the whole Halloween thing, but like, you know, we talked about the horror movies that we want to start watching. We talked about the imagery that we enjoy and where I grew up. And I like, like, the story. Like, that's what pulls me into this. And that's why I really enjoy magic because, like, the game's never the same game twice because it's a deck of cards. You have that randomness. But then mm -hmm. you are telling a story as you play, like, whatever cards you get to put down. And they did these special black and white land cards. They're like, and for anyone who doesn't know the game, like, you have to put down lands and the lands create mana, quote unquote. And that's, and once you have so many lands down, then you can, you know, put out your spells and the spells can be creatures and all that sort of stuff. But the point is, like, instead of just being like a swamp, like now the swamp looks like like the Louisiana graveyard kind of swamps, right? That you see from the movies. And like the mountains look like the old scary houses up on the on the hills and that sort mm -hmm. of stuff. So they're doing these very gothic horror black and white art that's just stunning. And so Oh wow. Oh yeah. So so like I was telling them, like, I just like and I'm building my own decks and I suck at it. So I'm like losing more than I'm winning, but I'm just having so much fun because I get to look at all these pictures and it's like, okay, here's the story. And like the one, the one character I'm trying to get better at is he's called Tavern Ruffian. And, um, there's a cool mechanic this time around. You can tell I'm nerdy out about this, but they introduce that it's either day or night in the game. So when you start, it's neither. And then once the first card comes out that says it's day, then it turns day, but then you can get a card that turns at night. And when it turns night, the werewolves transform. So this guy who's like maybe like like you know a two two character for his power will double in power or something like that when he becomes a werewolf, but then it'll turn back to day by the end of that turn, so then he transforms again. So it's so many variables and just like you know for because I mean that's why we like horror movies in, in general is for the stories, right? Like mm -hmm. these stories, and that's that's what I'm nerding out about. So. That's been my big thing this week. I've been dying for that. And um, I'm going to go start picking up my paper cards because I at my local game shop here. Hopefully this weekend I'm going to get over there. Because um, I'm super excited to like just actually like look at these cards and really read them and learn them. Um, right. And then Crimson Val, dude. Like I, I didn't think I was going to get into the vampire one. I'm like, oh, no, I think I'll probably play that set too. But yeah. So right, on, right on. And then... You and I were talking about this off air, but I want to bring this up on air. Do you remember MP3.com? Uh, yeah, wasn't it kind of like the precursor to Bandcamp, sort of, kind of? That's the best way to describe it, right? It really oh, is. Okay. So, like, MP3.com, and and like the the next thing for the, after um, MP3.com would have been MySpace. So, like, mm -hmm. if you remember MySpace and the band pages. The MySpace mm -hmm. band page was basically what they did on MP3.com, but MP3.com was happening in the late '90s during the dot-com boom, right? And so during the dot-com boom and before the bubble burst, you know, people were just throwing money around like crazy. And okay. so, as a band, and as any band, 
right? And and like honestly, you didn't see you didn't see big bands on there because because everybody was afraid of the technology, right? And like even one of my band members like, well, if we put it there for free, people are going to steal it. I'm like, yeah, no, no, not really. Like they'd have to do a lot of funky stuff to try and like really record this and do whatever. And we're only allowing a couple songs to be downloaded. I'm like, no, like this is promo. It, it to me, it embraced tape trading, right? Okay, yeah. It put me, the artist, in control of how I distributed my music. And if people just came and listened to it, we actually got paid for that. Okay. It, it, was, mm-hmm. like, it was like streaming. It was kind of, kind of like radio plays. Now, it wasn't a lot, but like there was one dude. He was making $100,000 a month. Holy shit. 100000 a month. You know, and he was making new age. And that was the fun thing about this is that's why I say it's like Bandcamp because it wasn't just metal. It wasn't just rock. Like it was all these different genres and they had all these great tools that would let you find like, okay, well, who's the most popular and see what they're doing and that sort of stuff. I'm like, oh, okay. And this guy's like doing new age and like it was good music. It wasn't for me, but I'm like, man, good on him. So like 100000 a month just from streaming. Wow. Right. Like and I mean, people would be like, "Whoa, really?" Because that's definitely not what's happening now. No, no. You know, but but here's the thing: is like, and they still weren't paying much. That's just how many streams were happening. Because one, this was new. Two, he was reaching the right niche, right? And this this site really worked well because it, it wasn't focused on like there wasn't kind of e- any e-commerce like it was really you couldn't sell stuff there for your band you'd have to link out to your own site it was just a place that you could go to host your music because you know in the early 90s they didn't have all the different plug and play players or late 90s rather like they have today because you know it was, this was still i mean people were still talking dial-up it was still hard for streaming so there's a lot of shit they're figuring out right mm-hmm. but if you think about that and you think about where we are you know and then you think about like the the, the bullshit that napster did you know, it's like mp3.com was doing it right, trying to pay the artist. And then you have um, Bandcamp today, which is also doing it right, right? Like, like they're, they're, you know, the majority of the money that comes in goes to the artist. You know, mm-hmm. they take a really tiny cut of that. And um, like I was listening to a podcast that was talking about what we were talking about with the Spotify thing a while back. And I found something out about Spotify that I did not know. Because you know how we always talk about that they don't pay a lot of money for streaming. And I've always been like, okay, well, you know, it's it's like you're, you're looking at like radio plays, right? Because like we got, because radio royalties weren't much either, but the more you got played, the more popular the song was, the more money you made. Right. Um, and it never really hit me because I'm like, yeah, it's really not a lot. And I never thought about why aren't the labels talking about this? Well, apparently... In the early days of Spotify, a lot of the labels invested in the front end. So the labels are getting direct money from Spotify, and that's why they don't care what the artist gets. Wow. I was like, you motherfuckers. <laughs> Which, that's that's nothing new. Like, a lot of these major labels have been screwing artists for years. Well, but, it, but that's the thing is, like, like, everybody's, like, it's all up in arms at Spotify. It's like, listen... Like the reason Spotify can do it is because of the major label, you know, like if the labels actually give a shit about their artists and that's like, I I hate to say it, but I, it might be time for major labels to go away. You know? uh, yeah. 
<laughs> I've, I've always had a disdain for major labels, even when they were picking up bands like Armored Saint, like 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 Metallica and all that You're in, in the old days and all that. I still kind of like, oh, especially when I had that total punk rock mentality in the mid to late 80s, where it's like anything major label, I was like, ugh, ugh. You know, and my stance has kind of softened over the years. But honestly, if a lot of these labels kind of disappeared, I would be good with that. And as long as, you know, the some of the strong indies, the metal blades, the prosthetics, you know, the band, the, the labels that we work with. And there's a reason why we work with them. As long as they remain strong and, vi and viable as well. But yeah. These some some these scum sucking major labels can just can pound sand by now for well, me. And I'm with you. And it's funny because I called I called um, Sue from D Gregorio this morning because Sue and I have known each other for well a long fucking time, dude. Mm -hmm. And uh, oh yeah, so the D Gregorio album is probably going to be delayed because we we're talking about okay. that this morning too. Um, because I can't remember why but because we're going to start talking about like doing a release party again um but you know i called her because she's been saying that you know that she just wishes she could just do her art right like she just wants to do her art she doesn't want to have to you know do all this other bullshit you know and those days are so far gone and Honestly, musicians almost kind of did it to themselves, right? Mm -hmm. and, that, and that's the hard part is because all these tools on the internet, mp3.com, Bandcamp, gave me, the independent artist, the ability to like bypass the majors, you know, so they couldn't gatekeep anymore. And now, well... Uh, and like, so if you get really good at that, you didn't need a major label. So now basically major labels, like an A&R guy is looking for somebody who's already good at that. So they don't have to do the work. So now it's become even lazier. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and so we were having that conversation this morning. And, and like, I, I say all of that to, you know, come back to like what we do on the show. Cause like, you know, we don't, we don't do this for any money. We don't give a shit about the money. We are here for, um, like we're, we're here for. The, the the bands right we're here for the music yeah the fans it's, the, it's the love of the music yes yeah and so it's one of those things where it, it like there there is a niche business that could be built to do the old style of doing it you know what i mean like like i, I feel i feel like is is everything old is new again that sort of thing and if you you think about for as much as we get to online experiences like like guitar guitar store wise, like the guitar stores that really like are still making a killing are the ones that have completely embraced online, but take online to a new level with, you know, it's not just stock pictures, like it's pictures of that instrument, that serial number, you know exactly what you're buying. They take the service to another level. And then if they have a physical location, it's not like a store, like it's an experience. It's a visual experience. It's cool looking, you know? And, and so it's almost like if we could find a way, you know, and if, as I say this out loud, if somebody's listening and be like, shit, yeah, we could do this. Like, um, please do it and contact my friend Sue. Um, you know, she would love to be your guinea pig. But 
you know, there I, I feel like there is a niche business to do old style A and R where you get an artist and you develop them and you build their career. You know, like you find somebody mm-hmm. who's really talented, and I mean, it's not always going to work out because that's like any business. You know, like you're going to have good employees, you're going to have bad employees. But um, like I, it just I feel like there's I feel like there's something there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure, for sure. I'm, so, I'm glad you're always thinking about stuff like this. Dude, it's, always, it's, it's always on my brain. You know, like I, I just I love music so much, right? Mm-hmm. Like and. You know, I've been making it in some regard since I was probably eight years old, right? Whether that was on mm-hmm. a piano or a trombone before I got guitars and things. And just, I love all forms of music, you know? And I mean, and our, you know, our regular listeners will notice because I don't always talk about metal because like some weeks I don't listen to metal, you know? Mm-hmm. Because like, well, as much as I love metal, there's so much to listen to. And maybe some weeks I'm going to listen to J-pop. And I do, you know, and, and I mm-hmm. dig it. Not all of it, you know, but like there's there's great music out there. And just, I don't know. Oh, don't know. for it's, sure. It's my lo- love letter to the music, music industry, we'll say. You know, so. <laughs> right on. Excellent. Excellent. What else, Scott? That's everything, man. That's everything. That's enough for me for today. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, myself, I actually have made a couple trips out to the record stores and the comic shops. First of all, just a quick, uh, I believe, was it last episode or the episode before where I mentioned um, getting into the new Kiss Phantom Obsession comic book series? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I was at the comic shop at the same time. I picked up issue two of that, okay, which I'm really enjoying. Issue two, speaking of Elvira, of the Elvira meets Vincent Price, um, new, new, new series. And issue number one of Army of Darkness, 1979. Are you familiar? No, you have my attention. Are you familiar with Army of Darkness? Oh, yeah, yeah, because that was supposed to be Evil Dead 3, right? Wasn't that? Right, yes. Ultimately, that's what it is. Yeah, and of course, there's the TV series, and like Ash has been in the comic books for so long, and all that. So, I found this new series, first issue. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump on this from the ground up, as well as all of those series. Yeah, yeah, I'm really like okay. We we never really lost our interest in comic books. It's just it's not it wasn't always in the forefront of what we did, but now you know with my brood. You know, we're making weekly trips to the comic book shops now and all that. And both myself, my wife and my daughter and all that, we're walking out with a mitt full of funny books, as my grandmother used to call it, you know, every week. So getting really excited about that. A couple of really cool albums, though, I really want to talk about. Okay, last episode, I said that I had a really cool album on hold. And I was coming oh, down. Yeah, finally. I, Damn I it, I've com- been dying to talk about this. <laughs> I, was, I was coming down to get it. Well, I the next day, I was right there as they were opening the door. I knew exactly what I wanted. I couple, grabbed a couple other things as well. But I had to make sure, damn sure, that this was waiting for me. Longtime veteran listeners of Radioactive Metal will know that 
my all-time favorite concert ever. Okay, and it's been thousands by now, I'm sure. Okay. Yeah, that's just like a week for you. <laughs> it was, and I got in my hot little fist here right now. It was the um, the very first stop Metallica ever made here in Winnipeg, 1986, the Master of Puppets tour, shortly after Cliff Burton had died, and it was the very first leg of uh, of, of touring for Jason Newstead. Okay. It was a it was a low key gig in a small theater. There was only about five hundred people there, but I'm sure by now, like five thousand Winnipeggers have all said they were there. Oh, well, sure, I can, yeah. I, can, I can honestly say that I was. This this was when Metallica were at their best in my books. Okay, like they had they had those first three kill, killer records. They had their shit together. They were the darlings of the underground scene. You knew, like this band is something special, but you never, you also never knew what was going to lie ahead in the next five years. That they were really going to take off and become mainstream darlings, and all that. This this record, you know, and all that, it really captures that era that um, that 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 they were in at the time, and it's a double live the whole concert. I actually thought it was it was a bootleg at first, which some people might say, "Oh, Snowy, like you're so against um, file sharing and all that. How can you be pro pro bootleg and all that?" Boot, yeah, okay. Because this, my my argument for this is that this is basically a live tape put onto a vinyl, yeah, and the live tape trading bands back then at, in that era were all for it it was a huge thing like in, in the underground tating trading live tapes and demo tapes amongst fans that's that's what we did all the time like i said the bands were all for it so i had no problem turns out though this is actually an official release some company called prime vinyl that gets the rights to put out a legit release of of whatever it is that they're looking for. And they, they managed to snag this show in the winter of 1986. So, so exciting. Yeah. 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 So exciting. While, while I was there, okay, I grabbed another, another vinyl album, a new uh, reissue of the first exciter album, heavy metal maniac. Yeah, I got into Exciter right around the same time, you know, the mid, about 1984, the same time I discovered Metallica and a lot of those underground thrash, thrash bands when I went metal full time. But I discovered Exciter with their second album, Violence and Force. And since then, Exciter has been one of my favorite bands, like in general, a really cool Canadian band, one of the pioneers of, of thrash in general. For some reason, though, I never really got around to going back and grabbing heavy metal maniacs. The first, the first exciter albums for one reason or another, like you can't, you can't get everything. Okay. Well, while I was grabbing that cool Metallica record, I found a vinyl copy of that record. Brand new, really cool price. Mine. 
No problem, no problem. And of course, at the same, yeah, yeah, at the same time, I found a copy of um, an old Hatebreed uh, seven-inch EP un un under the knife. Okay, this this was pre this this was Hatebreed like before they caught on, before they exploded, before they 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 did everything that they did when they were just a young, dumb, full of cum hardcore band just killing it in the underground. And it just, it, it shows. You could see, like like Metallica back then, you could see that, okay, the, the, the hate breed from then, you could see that potential to what they were going to become. And I just don't mean commercial success or anything, any bullshit like that, but just the awesome albums that that Jamie Jasta and the guys have put together over the years and the killer live show every time Hatebreed has come to town i just the pits have been amazing and the enthusiasm for it has been fantastic not so that was really cool my last trip to the record shop though i kind of went in a little bit different direction okay first for, first of all i found a a decent price secondhand copy of uh, Deep Purple Stormbringer. Nice. Really cool stuff. Yeah, I got all of this stuff right here in the in this in the studio here with me. So if you hear some shuffling or whatever, that's what it is. But the important stuff, okay, the really really cool stuff though. Um, Mrs. Snowy, when she was growing up, big Abbott and Costello fan. She loved them. You know, who the who's on first, what's on second, and all that. Well, hot damn it, if I didn't find an, the Abbott and Costello record, who's on first, Abbott and Costello on radio. Okay, where it's just a, the radio broadcast of their, of, their, of their act. Okay, pushed on, pressed on to vinyl, including that, for, that famous... Who's on first? What's on second? I don't know. It's on third and all that. I just it's that that classic, that cl that classic bit, along with a whole whack of other things. So when I brought that home and I showed it to her, she got really excited. Took her back to, you know, when she was a kid, and all that. That was that 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 was record number one. The same time, though, okay. You were a big fan growing up of the TV series MASH. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, obviously, I guess you've seen the original 1970 movie. I've only probably seen that once. I, I don't have near as good of a memory for that as I do for the TV series. For the, I've, for the I've series. I've watched every episode of that TV series multiple times. Right on, right on. Myself as well. It was a tradition in the house growing up, watching the reruns every evening, the all the way up until like 1983. The new episode aired Thursday nights. Well, I'm a big fan of the original movie. Donald Sutherland, Sally Kellerman, Tom Tom Skerritt, Elliot Gould. Okay, fantastic movie. It's the movie that started everything. I found the original soundtrack album to Mash. No. The movie. That's oh, awesome. <laughs> it is absolutely awesome. Like, they kind of have a different rendition of the main theme. Okay, but as the movie, as the soundtrack and the movie are kind of ending, they they redo it. They replay the main theme 
so we kind of get it that way. But the majority of the album, okay, is just um, bits, sound bites from the movie, okay, mixed in with some of the with the original um, songs, which were all songs from the, the Orient in the fifties. You know, when the when the Korean War was happening, yeah. so there's not a there's not a single piece of metal, hard rock, punk, nothing on this. It's just all 50s oriental pop and all that and easy, easy listening and all that. But we made that we made those two records as part of our um, true cult coffee date night. I made a I made a pot of that master of that really cool master brew. I and saw we that said, picture, dude, yeah, online. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We just sat down and we just enjoyed listening to these these two really cool albums. We finished our coffee night. Okay. Remember when we were kids? No. Those um those 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 read along records? Oh yeah. Where you you had certain movies, super, superhero re, re, reproduction of certain superhero comic books, yeah. and it came, came with a little album with a little seven inch vinyl, and a read along book. Okay, I found, and I'm I wish I could show it to you and all that, but but I found the twenty four page read along book and record for Return of the Jedi. Oh, dude, I actually have the original still. You still have it? Yeah. Like once he said that, I'm like, oh, my mom actually found that recently. And I think she brought it down (laughs) or she was at least showing my son when we were up there. Yeah. Like, like I remember having that putting on my Fisher Price record player. Right on. Right on. Yeah. They wanted a cool, a cool 10 bucks for it. That's it. That's really good. It's in good condition. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. What was, what was even better? That MASH record? Yeah. $5. $5. And when I brought it up to the counter, I'm like, really? dude, my good buddy Jace, yeah, I, you know, my good buddy Jace was was at was at the counter. I said, "Okay, are you sure you're not missing a zero after the 5 on this?" You know, which I'd be more than willing to pay yeah. for and all that. He's like, "No, I guess it's just 5 bucks." All right. Wow. You're the boss. I'm not arguing. Oh yeah. <laughs> wow, man. Yeah, yeah. All right. At the same time, I grabbed it. Sorry? Oh, well, I was going to say, like, like two things here before we get too far away fr- from them. Um, the, well, one, we'll come back to the other one. But when you're talking about um, the Abbott and Castillo, who's on first, mm-hmm. a buddy of mine sent me a meme. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, I, I'm like, I couldn't remember how it went. So I literally had to go through and look it up. And here's how it goes. And this goes with this record you just got. I heard ABBA, A-B-B-A, like the Swedish band, ABBA. And Elvis Costello will be touring together. It's an ABBA and Costello concert. I wonder who's on first. (laughs) Which, which, don't tell Mrs. Snowy this, but apparently ABBA have dropped a a new song. Apparently ABBA are back. Yeah. Yeah. You got to go. No. No, no, I haven't even given it a listen <laughs> and yet. It's okay. Come on, you can't tell right. you're not a dancing queen. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I am actually See, because there we go. Because Take a chance like, on me. I, 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 I am a terrible dancer. Okay, like I have no rhythm. Okay, 
But every every opportunity I get, you know, when I'm out with friends at like a normie club to celebrate birthday, celebrate a birthday or something, and I get dragged on the dance floor, I still do it, and I do it with enthusiasm. And I look really bad doing it, but I don't care. If you can't dance, what you should do is be doing it as much as you can in front of people. It's the same thing with singing. I can't sing for shit. That's why I love karaoke. I was literally just going to say that. I'm like, that, that's my approach to singing. I'm like, <laughs> I can't sing, but I don't let that stop me. Oh, you have to do it. You have to do it at work and annoy the piss out of everybody. Shut up. You can't sing. Oh, don't let me know I have an audience. Oh, I know. <laughs> don't threaten me with a good time. That's right. That's right. That's right. So, so yeah. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. I'm getting really excited about all of this some really cool tunes that i've been given a listen to and some stuff that came across my desk a really cool seven inch from uh german thrash death rasher sacrifiction really cool seven incher shower me in death available now on hell's headbangers i gave that a spin some really cool i don't know some entombed inspired type thrash always a good time as well this really cool single came across my desk from vanilla fudge okay every once in a, yeah every once in a while i get these i get these unique singles that come through and it's basically just i don't know if it's available physically yet on seven inch vinyl or something but they did a rendition of um the Supreme Stop in the Name of Love. Okay, and they kind of gave it that 70s psych psychedelic treatment for it as well. On the beast, what's going to be, I guess, the B-side of this single. Earlier this year, at the beginning of this year, their bassist Tim Bogert passed away. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how we missed that. Oh, yeah, and the funny part you is know? I remember hearing about that, but I didn't think it was recent. Oh yeah, no, it was just 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 this year. Well, the B side to what I guess is going to be this single is they there's a simple little spoken word from all the surviving band members called the Legacy of Tim, where it's just basically the the other three members just sitting down sharing stories all about Mr. Bogart and all that, and it's just like wow, you know what? More bands need to do this. You know, for B sides as singles, and maybe not just just in terms of uh, when someone passes away to pay, to pay tribute or anything. But I remember when I was a kid uh, when Saga's Heads or Tails album came out, really cool Canadian hard rock band. When uh, their first single, The Flyer, okay, still this is still one of my favorite albums and favorite singles of all time. The B side to that was just a quick interview with this with the vocalist Michael Sadler. Just a quick five minute chat. And I thought it was the coolest thing. Okay. <laughs> you know, like I you know, I would I'd be playing it and you know, people would, would, would come into my room and it's like, what are you listening to? That's not the radio. That's the, that's a record. And well it's it's an interview with with you know with with the band why do you want to listen to that that's not a song and all that but no this is stuff like this is really cool and it was just maybe it was one of those things that made me subconsciously 
decide when the idea of doing this show, you know, was presented to me, I said, yeah, okay, let's, let's go for it. I guess maybe it's just kind of stuff like that, you know, that being, you know, and also going into listening to or reading metal magazines, you know, throughout pretty much my whole life and all that and stuff like that, you know, pays, makes a, a real, has a really big influence on, you know, your, your thought patterns and all that. Oh, speaking of this show and big influences and all that, of course you're you remember the WKRP in Cincinnati? Oh yeah, I'm a big fan of that. Without that show, without Doctor Johnny Fever, there probably wouldn't be a radioactive metal. Okay, in all in all honesty, I've said that many times on the show. Just I just happened to stumble upon and binged every episode now. Of the new WKRP from the early 90s. Oh, I don't think I've ever seen that. Oh, well, every episode is available up on YouTube right now. I just binged all all 47 episodes this week. Because it was only it was only on for about two seasons. And it just, you know, those, lo- those last couple episodes, it was just praying to die. <laughs> and, you know, and, yeah. it, and it eventually and it eventually did. But, you know, for the most part, I kind of enjoyed it. And there, I, I missed there was a lot of episodes that I missed as well. And it, it got me all all caught up, you know, and, you know, there's a lot of cool characters. Well, not not cool outside of Johnny Fever, who was only a part time character on it. But, you know, there was three original characters and a lot of the other ones made made appearances here and there and i'm just throwing it out there to all of our older listeners which i know a good segment of our listeners are are you know 30 and beyond you're um if you were a huge fan of the original wkrp well you have the option of checking out the new now and finally let's get into some tunes here i got a couple of really cool Records across my desk. You may recall a little while back, we were served. We received the first EP from the band, The Troops of Doom. Of course, that is um, Yaros from uh, Sepultura. He was um, he was a member of the band. I think all the way up until the Beneath the Remains album, and then he kind of went off and did his own thing. This is kind of his comeback outfit. Their um, new four-song EP is available now, featuring a a, um, a cover of Sepultura's "Antichrist" from back in the day. Really, really cool stuff. It's called the called Act Two, the Monarch. Really, really cool stuff um as well you may recall a little last year we had one chris dodge on the show talking about our beer episode he was um he's the he was the member of the band trappist oh yeah 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 as well he's a beer connoisseur he has the um he has the column in decibel magazine and he was in all sorts of really cool um Power violence bands all throughout the 80s and 90s. Well, Trappist is back with a new split with the band Connoisseur, courtesy of Tank Crimes Records. That new split crossfaded 
is available now and trappist is still they're 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 still doing it man they're still coming up with a lot of killer stuff just like i we always knew that mr dodge you know is capable and one of these days we have to have him back on you know and chat some more about everything but right now let's get into some cool tunes how about um some troops of doom from that new record this is the title track act two of the monarch oh featuring none other than jeff bracera from the mighty possessed
mentioned cool new release from trappist with kind of their tribute their homage to the mighty dri with i don't need sobriety which i guess which i guess that's perfect considering what trappists are all about and you know their favorite topic and all that i thought that play on words was really cool before that that was sacrifiction unmarked shallow graves really really cool stuff really getting into that band big time can't wait to hear more courtesy of the good folks at hills headbangers great stuff great stuff for sure for sure so before we go on with the rest of the show i want to touch back on that vinyl you picked up with the master puppet store right or the damage incorporated tour i guess is the better better way to put it when when you mentioned that date, it it really started kind of resonating in my head. I'm like, wait a second, because like, 
because Cliff only died on the 27th, right? And I, I was like looking, and so I started pulling up the tour dates. And I'm like, when you think about the fact that it looks like they played a couple dates like in November, but I mean, from September 27th to October 27th was barely a month. And, you know, like 10 days after that, they were playing shows. Mm -hmm. I yeah. could not imagine that because to play those shows, they had to audition and rehearse somebody. Right. There was no time mm -hmm. for grieving. No, there wasn't. Not really. You know, and like when you like look at like the Some Kind of Monster documentary and you hear about all the different stories and, you know, like James's battle with alcohol and like even Kirk's mentioned how that situation fucked him up, you know, because him and um, uh, him and Cliff traded bunks, you know, mm -hmm. like, like no wonder it, it's like such a like I, I can't even imagine like keeping going on and doing that you know and then like let alone like you said you've got the vinyl like it's still an incredible show like, oh, so yeah. to still perform at your best like that's insane you know definitely like, they really like, stepped wow. up yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like that that's professionalism beyond professionalism and when you look at something like that all these people are like oh metallica has enough money oh the snaps are so fuck you like the shit they have dealt with, the tra like the tragedy that they have dealt with, like, like, you know, the the same people who say, oh, they have enough money. No, those fuckers would be like back at work doing what they're doing, you know, like. Mm -hmm. Oh man, you know, just no wow, doubt, dude. No doubt, no doubt. Yeah. I think I think a lot of that had to do with with Jason Newstead himself because obviously, like I remember reading interviews. You know, when he was reminiscing about that time when they heard that they were, you know, that Cliff had died, they're looking for for uh, for a, a new bassist, and he went to apply for it, and um, he had to learn all these songs, you know, even before the audition, and he just dove like straight into it, like just j jamming and rehearsing himself all these songs all hours of the night. He drank. He said he drank so much coffee in a week. You know, just to get everything down. And honestly, he probably knew he was probably really familiar with the uh, with the material going in anyways. He was probably a huge Metallica fan, you know, being in his time with Flotsam and Jetsam. Oh, yeah. As well. So he probably had the advantage going in. And I have to admit, OK, and this is when the metal nerd comes out. It kind of, yeah, it sucked that when the when the band first hit the stage okay yeah it kind of sucked not not seeing cliff and the whole circumstance and all that i too but i was thinking to myself okay fuck that's also jason newstead from flotsam and jetsam up there yeah <laughs> you know and it's not like it's not like we're getting flotsam up here in winnipeg anytime soon so to see this guy on the stage right now that was off the hook. Oh, yeah. That was off the hook. Yeah. You you had quite a show, man. Mm -hmm. I just, you know, when you think about, and it's funny because, you know, we were talking about this earlier, but like being a musician does not pay well. Ah, it yeah. Really to doesn't. tell that to all my friends. Yeah. You know, it, uh -huh. it, it really doesn't. And you do it because you love it. 
and, and to watch, you know, and, and as much as like, I still have my love hate with a black album. Um, I, I will still respect the hell out of Metallica because of everything they did, how they did it, the tragedies that they had to, you know, survive to get to where they are. I mean, they've earned everything they have and they like have uh, very literally earned it with their blood, you know, mm-hmm. like, like, and so you can say what you want. I mean, like I'll, I'll still give Lars shit all the time for not being the world's greatest drummer. It's just um, fun now bashing well, Lars. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and when I listen to some <laughs> things, I'm like, man, he is like the most mediocre drummer who's so famous, you know, but you know, he, he still earned it, you know, like, yeah. I, I can say that all I want, but it's like, he's doing it, I'm not. But I mean, so like when, when you have a band like Metallica, like if, if anything, I wish that, that there were more people that could make a living the way Metallica's made a living, you know, and, and mm-hmm. have the kind of success that allows them to do what they've all done, you know, like. I mean, For sure. Yeah, like, like, like all honestly, any of the '80s thrash bands that are still surviving, like Exodus, Anthrax, Slayer, like all those guys, the fact that they kept going through all that shit and still managed to make a living doing it. Like yeah, guys, the '90s. Yeah. Like, like, like more power to you because man, mm-hmm. it is really not a good paying gig. Not at all. <laughs> not yeah. at all. Not at all. Want to say more power to you and hello and horns up to our good buddy, Matt Harvey. Here is a dude, okay, we've had on the show many times and with good reason. Not only is he just a fantastic dude all around and we have a really good time talking to him. Okay, just just his pedigree, his discography, it's just absolutely amazing, you know, from his work with Exhumed, with Gruesome, his new, newer-ish you know, new wave of British heavy metal inspired band Pounder and all that. He's just got so much awesome music going back. Oh shit! I remember when I was at the Quebec Death Fest buying their old demo tape when he was only like 16 years old and all that. It's like ah, I'm sure he's hiding his head over that now. But for me, like that's that that's a piece of metal history right there, and I just it's always going to be a cherished part of my music collection so with all of this great metal goodness okay we also know that mr harvey is kind of a geek like us his love of comic books his love of horror horror music his love of science fiction superheroes you name it okay he's right into it it became quite obvious as well his love of um, artists like John Williams, John Carpenter, all of these great, you know, Claudio Simonelli from from Goblin, all these great artists that have scored all of these wicked, you know, science fiction movies over the years and become quite famous for it. Mr. Harvey himself decided recently to try to do something a little different, a little bit out of his comfort zone, and kind of branch out, taking a cue from those aforementioned famous composers and all that. He came up with his new solo album, The Last Son of Krypton. OK, 
Okay, now that makes you go, well, Krypton, isn't that like Superman's home planet that blew up and he came to Earth and thus a legacy was born and all that? Bingo. That's exactly what it is. What Mr. Mr. Harvey did was take all of his influences and create this awesome soundtrack album to a movie that doesn't exist. <laughs> okay, The Last Son of Krypton is totally his own imagination, his own movie idea, and he decided, you know what, I'm going to do my own score for it. Sat down with the guys at Relapse Records, his mainstay record label, and a short while later, they hammered out this amazing new record, The Last Son of Krypton. We played a track off of it, I don't know, about four episodes ago when the record first came out, and I knew right then and then, right then and there, dude, we have to get Mr. Harvey on again, once again on this show, just to talk about this, because this show has just been getting geekier and geekier this year, as we've kind of, in our discussions, we've kind of been branching out more and more into that world, so it was a a perfect uh, per perfect timing for this record and for us to sit down with Mr. Harvey and get the 411 on all of this. To get us to that chat, how about we drop a track from The Last Son of Krypton? And I thought maybe it'd be apropos if we just went kind of with the title track, the opening track, just to get everything going. So without further ado, this is our most recent chat with a good friend of the show, the one and only Mr. Matt Harvey.
So I guess first and foremost, what we should do with the discussion with this new project, um, what was the inspiration <laughs> behind it? Because it's definitely your most unique so far. <laughs> yeah, um, it's definitely something where there's kind of zero overlap with anything that I've done before. <laughs> so um, I, I guess, you know, I've always been, you know, kind of interested in in soundtrack music and orchestral music in general um and it was you know I, I i ever since i've kind of started transcribing everything that i write um you know about 10 years ago i would occasionally get these little melodies or little themes and um when we did the death revenge record uh i worked with our old bass player uh, matt widener who's also from Cretan and county medical examiners and so forth and you know, he and I kind of developed some of those melodies and themes into these little pieces that, you know, were kind of sprinkled throughout the record that were more cinematic. And that kind of opened my eyes to the ability to, to kind of do something like that, you know, um, I guess digitally or whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. um, you know, without actually using a, an orchestra, live musicians, etc. And, um, you know, I always kind of wanted to explore it, but didn't really have the, the technical know-how or the means. And then once we built the studio for, um, for recording the Exhumed Record Horror, I was like, well, now I kind of have at least the, you know, the, the equipment that I could do this on, um, you know. And then I started kind of investigate, uh, investing in some of the software. And then, of course, the pandemic came and I had the downtime uh, from being on the road to really kind of dive into it deeply. And so that was sort of the uh, the how, you know, um, as far as the why, you know, I think everybody can agree that last year was sort of one of the most negative years <laughs> in, in, in our lifetimes, probably, uh, especially as, as an American. I, I feel like it was you know, most of the year was felt pretty dark. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so, you know, I guess I've always been a big, you know, nerd. Uh, you know, I grew up on comics and science fiction and sword and sorcery and tabletop role playing games and mythology and all this kind of stuff. So um, I think, you know, going we, we talk about that stuff a lot in the van because that's how ross uh from exhumed and i knew each other before music was through uh i worked at a comic store he was a customer and he went to school with our original drummer oh, and so right we spent a lot <laughs> we spent a lot of time talking about this kind of stuff <laughs> and um you know we, we were always saying that as much as we love most of the the newer superhero movies that, that are coming out you know, we wanted to hear some more optimistic kind of theme music. And that sort of planted the seed. And then last year, I really felt like I was sorely in need of some optimism. <laughs> um, so right. <laughs> I, I wanted to, you know, as I was exploring how to sort of, you know, uh, mock up the symphonic music and stuff and film score, you know, obviously I didn't have a... a a movie nobody hit me up to like do the soundtrack to their movie <laughs> <laughs> so that i kind of I, and i wanted this sort of optimistic vibe you know this kind of good triumphing over evil kind of thing um and so i naturally just kind of returned to that discussion with ross and and 
I had that little uh, the kind of the main melody that I thought was just sort of like you know there's a hero inside all of us kind of thing and I started building from there and I needed some kind of narrative to kind of construct the music around you know and so I just uh, you know Superman is one of those characters that's like unironically optimistic uh, that's just good with no you know mm-hmm. there's no edge there's no ulterior motive and I you know I thought that was kind of what I needed emotionally last year was to kind of wallow in that innocent hopefulness and so that was kind of uh, that's that's where it came from you know Right on, right on. And I was, I kind of have this as a question, but you sort of answered it already. You're obviously a fan of Oval Soups going into this. For sure. You know, um, uh, you know, I'm 45, so uh, especially Superman 2 um, was a huge thing in my childhood, you know, mm-hmm. that was like, it was Star Wars, Superman 2, and, you know, the Spider-Man cartoons. That was kind of like... And the Hulk and Wonder Woman live-action TV shows. That was, like, my shit when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think looking back on, you know, pop culture, as much as this is sort of the golden age of whatever people call it now, geek culture or whatever, you know, I think the early 80s was also, was the first golden age because obviously Star Wars was a huge box office success and that led to Battlestar Galactica, Buck Rogers, the Hulk was on TV, Wonder Woman was on TV they were making TV movies for Captain America, Doctor Strange Spider-Man and you know Conan the Barbarian came out Mm -hmm. and Superman 1 and 2 so that kind of period from like 77 to 83 was kind of the first golden age of geek culture or whatever Mm -hmm. you want to call it and that's when I was, you know, two to eight. So right. it's perfect for me. You know? yeah, I grew yeah. up immersed in it, you know. Right, right. Me too. I remember those days well. Yeah. Yeah. Everything Absolutely. everything you listed, I, I was checking off in my head myself. <laughs> yeah. I, I've, I've kind of, you know, since doing this record I've and talking about it more, you know, I've been kind of thinking about that in terms of the, the bigger cultural context and it's like oh that actually makes a lot of sense you know that there was a <clears throat> you know people were, were more interested in that stuff really in that time period than any time until you know the last 10 years which mm-hmm. obviously has been an unprecedented explosion <laughs> in pop culture of this stuff i never saw that coming like when we were kids no way did i ever think there was going to be like an Ant Man or a Ghost Rider movie that looked good, right? You know, <laughs> um, you know especially uh, you know I, I was uh, I basically started reading comics in 1980, and um, I read them consistently through about '94, and um, I was uh, I was shouldn't say always, but by the time I was like 11 or so, I I kind of gravitated away from like X Men and Spider Man. And I was like a Fantastic Four Avengers kid. And, you know, the fact that the Avengers is like the biggest movie franchise since Star Wars. I mean, I could never have imagined it. You know, I remember seeing seeing the trailer for the first Avengers movie, which in hindsight, you know, is enjoyable, but certainly not one of the best Marvel movies they've made. And first time I saw the trailer, I was like, so this is already my favorite movie of all time. Like, this is a movie (laughs) I've been waiting for, for, you know. Uh Uh-huh, our whole lives. Years, you know, yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's, uh, 
it's it's definitely a, a a good time to to be a nerd you know for sure for sure and it's almost it's almost like like when we were growing up like geek and nerd like the jocks use that like as an insult and now i feel like you have all the the cool pretty girls are pretending to be nerds now and I think it's fantastic, you know? I mm-hmm. mean, I think it's great. <laughs> um, <laughs> the thing is that, you know, stories and myths and all those things, you know, they've always been at the center of all cultures. And, you know, certain kinds of stories, you know, never really go out of style. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just how do you express them, you know? And the thing is, I think anybody that has read comics growing up, you know, especially from the 70s and 80s really was kind of when the storytelling really got a lot more sophisticated you know we've all known that they're great stories and that they're universal stories it's just that they happen to be about people in leotards that you know fight crime or whatever (laughs) and you know that that's that's sort of the medium that they come across in and to me it's no surprise that these stories have universal appeal because but you know most people don't want to sit down with a comic book and use their imagination and understand the medium of the of mm-hmm. comics and stuff, which is completely understandable. But when you put it across in a way that they can understand, you know, like a blockbuster movie, they're like, oh, yeah, of course this resonates. Of course this is important. Of course this says something about, you know, the human condition and the world we live in and how we relate to it and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of finding a medium that mainstream society can relate to you know um and even like with tv shows like the wire game of thrones or breaking bad and so forth you know people like oh the storytelling is so sophisticated i'm like well clearly you've never read comics because like (laughs) comic books have been doing this kind of episodic interwoven storytelling for like 40 plus years at this point you know (laughs) so to me it was it was kind of like mainstream pop culture entertainment finally caught up with the level of sophistication the comics have had really since you know the 60s right on for sure for sure yeah what um what was relapses um, what was their reaction when you brought this idea to them (laughs) um you know they were surprisingly receptive um you know they you know they were also realists so like we're just gonna do it as a digital release where we we release it, we promote it, and, and stuff like that, but we're not going to, you know, sink a ton of money into making <laughs> the oh, No vinyl? No vinyl? No, no, not at this point, but oh. um, they, they were very, you know, I was honestly surprised at how receptive they were, because I just, you know, anything I'm working on, I kind of, I've been working with them for so long, I just, I'm like, hey, this is what I'm doing, if you're into it, great, if not, I'll look around and figure something out, and they were like, no, let's do it, like, this is, uh, you know, it's so out of left field that, you know, it's, but it's interesting. And so that was really, uh, you know, pleasantly surprising. <laughs> right on, right on. Good. Yeah. And it's not like Relapse isn't open-minded about a lot of their releases too, as well. Uh, yeah. Sure. And, you know, and you know, it's interesting because I see, you know, some like death metal kids like complaining online about, you know, Mirkur or however you say it or mm-hmm. you know, various other things that relapse does and I'm like clearly you haven't been paying attention because you know at least since the mid 90s they've done all kinds of experimental music from harsh noise to you know amber asylum to 
Dillinger escape plan to whatever. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, it's not a death metal yeah. label. <laughs> they're just a, they're like a interesting music label. And that's one of the things I think that is at least that has kept me stoked on the label, you know, like mm-hmm. everything, everything they put out. I, I can't say I'm a fan of everything they put out because that would be impossible to be a lie but everything they put out i can at least respect where it's coming from for sure whereas i can't say that about many other metal labels there's lots of stuff where i'm just rolling my eyes like okay right for sure for sure and what about like have you gotten feedback from any of your 800 other bandmates and all that about it <laughs> yeah you know actually um especially uh Dan Gonzalez from from Gruesome, he is a, you know, he's like an audio engineer by education. So he was very helpful throughout the whole process. Um, you know, he was like, hey, like, this is a good melody, but this is like what you have to do. You have to go into the, <clears throat> the MIDI files and you have to adjust them like this and yada, 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 as far as the actual techniques. Same thing with Alejandro, our bass player and pounder. He's also an audio engineer by education and by trade so he's like cool but now you need to like eq things and you need to add these kind of effects because i went into it really it was a massive learning curve i didn't really know much about the orchestra i knew very little about mixing uh so they were they were very helpful and supportive throughout you know um and then you know some of them like sebastian from exhumed he's also an audio engineer but he's just like I don't know, man. Sounds like a real orchestra to me. That's cool, I guess. So, (laughs) so, um, you know, so I definitely picked a lot of brains along the way to kind of get to, uh, you know, to get to the album to where it is. And uh, it's very helpful having uh, being surrounded by by good people on on many different fronts, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Definitely. definitely. It's good to have that type of feedback and know-how. yeah yeah and i mean everyone everyone that i work with you know we all have a very open kind of relationship where we can just be like no this is not good (laughs) you need to fix this (laughs) and you know that's incredibly valuable you know Mm -hmm. um and i I feel like i'm very fortunate because a lot of times when i'm playing uh you know i'm I'm lucky to be you know one of the worst musicians in the room because that means i have the most to learn (laughs) And, you know, so that's kind of, that's been my approach for a long time. It's like, surround yourself with people that are really good, and that will make you better. There you go. That's a spirit. That's a spirit. (laughs) I almost see this album for you as almost like a demo tape for uh, maybe um, parlaying this into a career for doing this type of music for soundtracks, etc. What are you going to do when Warner Brothers comes calling for to I mean, for you to are you ready <laughs> i'm gonna pick up the fucking phone i mean you know in a lot honestly i think that that's you know that i was looking at the record in sort of a similar way it's a way to you know let people know that are working on you know film projects or video game projects or they need a intro for their podcast or whatever um you know it's a way to be like hey, this is something that I do and this is something I like doing and it's something I want to do more of, you know. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm very I'm very interested in, in storytelling. I mean, I, I had a short story published in a book last year, so this kind of combines 
you know, writing music, producing music, telling a story, um, and just sort of combines a lot of things that I'm interested in. And, um, yeah, I would love to sort of parlay this into a second career. And I think that's something also that the, the pandemic has, has shown me, uh, as much as I love my job and mostly for the fact that they I've worked there for five years and they've allowed me to spend so much of that time on the road and still have a, have a job to come back to. I've also realized that I just, you know, I can't just work in an electronics factory and definitely I'll, I'll lose my mind, you know, yeah. would, my, my boss won't listen to this, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no, I, I'm the same way. I'm like, um, there's like, like I have friends that I've known literally for years and they have no idea what I do for money. <laughs> you know, because I just when I'm out and about at shows or you know for doing doing whatever, I don't want to talk about work. Like it's no, just it's, it's just a means to support myself. It, that's literally it's just for me. It's like hey, you know, I, I've been fortunate enough that in the past several years that now my day job is kind of like my side hustle, as the kids maybe said a couple of years ago. Right. <laughs> I don't know, um, but at the same time. You know, it's I would much rather be doing music full time, whether it's, you know, composing <clears throat> this kind of stuff, soundtrack kind of material or playing rock and roll or whatever, you know, oh, hey, it's it, it's like your day job is your that's your Clark Kent. And then when exactly. you step out into the music world, <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> then, then I can actually, you know, be my my full and true self. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Right on, right on. Okay, with all of this, you know, such an emphasis in pop culture now, you know, on superheroes and all that, what's your preference, DC or Marvel? Or do you have one? I mean, I've always been a Marvel guy at heart. Um, you know, I think ever since seeing the reruns of the 67 Spider-Man cartoon, I mean, that was kind of one of the life-changing moments that I had as a kid. Um and obviously it took a few years, uh, you know, until I was like probably five or six or whatever to understand that Marvel Comics was one thing with Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four and stuff. And then DC was, was something else. But I do uh, certainly in at the cinema, I think Marvel has been, you know, really kicking DC's ass for like 10 years. For a while now, which, yeah. Yeah. Where, where when, I, when I was growing up, because DC was owned by Warner Brothers. Um, well before Marvel was acquired by a, a mega corporation. Um, it always kind of seemed like Marvel was the scrappy underdog, you know. Mm -hmm. They weren't going to get uh, <laughs> Richard Donner, you know, humongously <laughs> promoted movie. You know, they weren't going to get Tim Burton's Batman. And now that the tables have kind of turned um, in the last 10 years, but I still... In the movies, I still prefer the Marvel stuff, even though not every movie I love, but most of them I really enjoy. Um, for animated stuff, I think DC has really, since the 90s, they've been like the clear leader, you know, mm -hmm. really since Batman the Animated Series. Like they've just gone buck wild and making great animated shows, great animated movies. Um, like Young Justice is one of my absolute favorite mm -hmm. cartoons of all time. Um, you know, Justice League International or Unlimited, rather, sorry, International is an old comic. Uh, I love that show. I love the Adventures of Superman and Batman animated series are both great. So I like them both. Um, but at heart, I've always been uh, more of a Marvel fan, you know. 
okay. What about Mrs. Harvey? What's her take on all of this geek stuff? Is she into it? Well, she's she's into she's a video game person, okay. and she's a Star Wars person. Oh, right on. Uh, you know, like she's cool with like Spider Man and the X Men, but she doesn't. You know, she doesn't get as deeply invested. You know, <laughs> as I do. <laughs> See, yes. um, you know, she's just like I don't really care who Carol Danvers is. I was like, no, this is really important. She's like, don't you have other friends to talk to about this? I'm like, yeah, I do. All right, I'll talk to them. You know, uh, just like she doesn't want to hear about you know, you know, guitar tone and various amps used on various recordings and stuff. Right. You know, um, but you know, I, I think I'm, I'm fairly fortunate in that. At least she's into video games. She's into Star Wars, and you know, like she played the Spider-Man PS4 game. Mm-hmm. I can't play fucking new video games. I stopped after like <laughs> Super Nintendo, but uh, I had a lot of fun hanging out with her while she was playing it and explaining who all the different characters were, and which she probably tuned out. But I, I still had a blast. Right, right, right. <laughs> no, I asked because because Mrs. Snowy, she's she's full on with all of this with me. Oh, now, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, but she she prefers the Marvel. Okay. And I have no preference over uh, over either, but I'm kind of a wise guy, as you've figured out in the last ten years now. Okay, (laughs) I I noticed. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I I get a I I I pretend that I lean DC just to get her goat. Get her goat, right? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm always like I'll just walk around the the house imitating Bruce and Clark going. You mean all they had to do was take his glove off? Yeah, I know, eh? (laughs) (laughs) Diana, all they had to do was take his glove off. Really? (laughs) That drives me nuts. (laughs) When you got (laughs) Superman on your team, all of a sudden things sort of get a little bit easier, you know? That's right. That's Uh, right. I mean, yeah, I, I don't even want to get started on the, the Zack Snyder films because I just can't. They're just great on me in a way that is bag. completely unreasonable. Like, I, there's no way I should be this irritated about them, but I, I can't help it. So <laughs> just, just we're not even going to open that door. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Kind of what I do want to put by you is... Um, some of the more recent uh, MCU stuff, like this What If cartoon uh-huh. animated series. Now, yeah, you're an old school reader of comics, so am I. I remember the comic book series. What's your take on uh, on this new series? I like it a lot. Um, I thought, and I think each episode has sort of been getting better. Um, like, I wasn't really a fan of the Marvel Zombies comic storyline, but I enjoyed the episode mm-hmm. um i thought the, the only real issue i had was the first episode didn't seem ambitious enough because it was kind of the same story as first avenger just with peggy right slotted in instead of steve and i was like if this is all the series is going to be it's going to be kind of a wasted opportunity but they've really kind of proven that they're, they're willing to go out on a limb and, and do something that you know is kind of drastic and also kind of dark um and it's really the first kind of Marvel animated show that can kind of be mentioned in the same league of quality as, you know, 
stuff like uh, Justice League Dark or Young Justice and, and you know, so many of the, the really good DC animated series, even though the Harley Quinn animated series was great. Mm-hmm. And I don't even like that character. So um, <laughs> I think What If is a big, um, it's a big step up and it's a big step in the right direction for the, the animation uh, department at Marvel. It makes me hopeful. Right, right, right. The only thing, being an old schooler, it's like, okay, it looks like they're just going to be concentrating on the MCU. And it's like, well, no, yes. I, you have a whole other comic book universe. It came from a comic book. Let's, let's, let's dive into that. But I don't think, because the audience for that just wouldn't be there. Yeah, I think that they would have to really... Because uh, I obviously I would love for them to go all out and do, you know, stuff about the Defenders or stuff about, you know, the Squadron Supreme is one of my favorites mm-hmm. um, as a Justice League fan, of course. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think that they, you know, they have a, a pretty big core audience that only really knows the, the film stuff as canon. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like there's, there's a dearth of characters to work with there. But they're going to just sort of allude to the comics. Like, you know, obviously, Hank as Yellow Jacket in uh, the What If the Avengers had never been. I mean, that was the name of the comic. I, I don't remember the title of the episode, but Hank as Yellow Jacket. Obviously, Yellow Jacket was like the sort of dark persona for Hank Pam. That was, mm-hmm. the, you know, the beating up the wasp storyline in the Avengers right. in the early 80s. It got <laughs> oh, quite dark. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, um, you know, so they're, they're just kind of kind of allude to those sort of things rather than presenting you with, with you know, mm-hmm. something really loudly outside the cinematic universe, which is a bummer. But, I mean, I, I think it, it makes sense. And growing up in an era where, you know, the Spider-Man TV movie from 1979 was as good as it gets, I feel like... <laughs> I feel like a little bit like Baruch Assault and Willy Wonka, like complaining about what if not using 3D man or whatever. It's like, well, you know, I'm really getting a lot more than I ever thought I would get. That's so true, to like yes. complain to complain feels a little a little petulant and a little entitled and you know, the comic fandom culture is very petulant and very entitled. Um yeah. So I try to not <laughs> try to not let's, come let's, at things from that direction. Right. Let's be happy with what we got. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, obviously keep keep hoping for more, but also realize that we've really come a long way, and uh, where we are is pretty great. That doesn't mean it's perfect; it can't get better. But it also means that eh, you recognize it's pretty great. You know. At the end of the day, what they need to do is call you and I as creative consultant for these things. I think clearly it really help, <laughs> you know, and, and this is, again, it's the kind of stuff uh, that we talk about in the van, Ross and I all the time, you know, we're, I'm, a, I'm a huge fantastic four fan and I'm, I'm very trepidatious about the, you know, the fact that they're bringing them into the MCU. And so Ross and I sort of worked out a trilogy that we feel would, would handle them in the best way of course you know we're mm-hmm. still waiting on that phone call from disney like hey guys what should we do <laughs> and we're only raking in billions of dollars clearly what's missing is your advice <laughs> but you know they generally tend to to not fumble the ball too much so right. I, you know i'm cautiously optimistic you know right on right on i just don't want yet another fantastic four origin story we get it we know the deal I mean, I think the thing is that those those films have been a lot less 
successful. And the, the pitch that I would use, because the new storyline obviously is all about time travel. Kang is the big bad. There's various universes where various things are happening. And I think the origin has to start in the 60s because the Fantastic Four don't make any sense outside of the 60s. Okay. And because now time travel is everywhere, so you just have them researching the negative zone with Victor Von Doom as a consultant. Of course, Von Doom says, you do one thing, they do the other. He gets mad, says, fuck you guys, and leaves. They enter the negative zone, they get powers, they come back, and then Annihilus and Blastar, or one or the other, however they, you want to do it, I guess Blastar is the, uh, the mini-boss. They come back, they... In order to save the city, they have to go back into the negative zone. They get in a big fight, blah, 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 blah. It's all cosmic and crazy. They come out, they're like, oh, that was tough. All right. But they come out today. Uh. And then that way you sort of get, because, you know, obviously the Marvel movies depend a lot on comedy. And you've got four fishes out of water. Um, you know, so then that way you can preserve the way that the thing talks in the comics. And you can laugh at it because it's very dated and old and silly and then you know in the early comics they're very sexist sue is always like oh i'm sorry read my darling but i'm helpless <laughs> you know and she's actually the most powerful member of the team mm -hmm. so then you, that there's a really there's a huge opportunity for comedy there in terms of like sue kind of discovering herself and in the context of her relationships with the other three and you know what Johnny Storm, he's a hot rod kid, you know, coming from 1961 to, you know, 2021. That would be pretty exciting as a hot rod kid. So you have a whole bunch of angles that preserve the core integrity of the characters with adding a comedic element, but also bringing them up to speed in a way that kind of would make sense in the interconnected universe. And that would be that would be film one. Okay. Okay, you are, okay, I've changed my mind. Let's go with that. I'll go with that origin story. That sounds fantastic. Oh, bad yeah. pun. Because <laughs> I think, you know, I mean, I think it's fun to see sort of the different interpretations of the different characters throughout the years. And so you could kind of, you could play with that. And, you know, just to have a movie in the 60s, obviously you could have some Howard Stern and young Hank Pym cameos and all this kind of thing and tie it into the larger MCU and do it in a way that would be that would be fun and zany and, you know, keep it in a freewheeling spirit because the Fantastic Four is not, you know, the last movie they made was like really dark for mm -hmm. the FF. I was oh, like, geez. this is not at all what this is about, you know? For sure, for sure, yeah, yeah. Um, it's just about that time. The Halloween season will be upon us soon and we're already stoked for it. We're getting excited about it. You ever uh, dress up as Superman for Halloween when you were a little one? Uh, I think my first Halloween that I went trick or treating, I, I dressed up as Batman. Oh, okay. Uh, my mom also like showed me up a really good Darth Vader costume. Uh, I had one of those old. I know I had one of the old Ben Cooper Spider-Man ones for sure. Uh, I believe I had a Superman one, but I did have a. I had a Superman cape that my mom made me that oh, I just man. used to wear like on regular days uh -huh, it was like oh too. yeah we're, go we're going to the grocery store i was like yeah hold on i'll be ready but just, i gotta get my cape on you know this i was important. the same way i did the same yeah. thing yeah I had, a, I had a superman cape and i had a batman cape and you know i was ready to accessorize any outfit <laughs> right on right on what how is um halloween 
celebrated um, in the Harvey household now? Well, usually I'm on tour, and uh, I will be on tour again this year. Um, in 2019, we were in uh, we were in was it Dallas? No, I think we're going to be in Dallas this year. And in 2019, we were we we're in Austin. So we're going to be in Dallas this year. Uh, I'm not sure what we were going to what we we're going to go as. Um, 2019, we we all went as California uh, Tech Bros. Because there's nothing more terrifying to somebody from Austin, Texas, than a Californian tech bro moving into their neighborhood. <laughs> that is literally the thing that they are most scared of in the world. Um, this year, I'm not sure what, what we're going to go as. Maybe we're in Texas, so maybe we'll all go as like coat hangers or something. Oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, generally, generally it's celebrated on tour, you know? <laughs>
Everyone knows a lot of things can change in the span of 10 years. But when it comes to professional wrestling podcasting, one thing is still guaranteed. The Shining Wizards is the only place to get all the latest wrestling news, interviews with the greatest guests, and of course, tons of laughs in discussing the world of wrestling. The show is still available on Monday nights at 7 p.m. East on RantDMRadio.com and Rant Entertainment Media on the TuneIn app. And it's still available on all podcasting platforms. To check us out, head over to ShiningWizards.com where it's still wrestling talk and talk about wrestling. One of Mr. Harvey's many awesome bands, that was Expulsion, which of course, as you may recall, it's a combination of Mr. Harvey from Exhumed, Mr. Matt Olivo from from Repulsion, kind of put those dudes together. You make Expulsion from their title track from their EP, Total Human Genocide. And before that, the aforementioned new wave of British heavy metal influence, traditional metal band Pounder, the title track from their latest record, Breaking the World. So, yeah, once again, all sorts of uh, really cool stuff that covers, you know, all sorts of really cool metal and music courtesy of Mr. Harvey. And I have to admit, dude, I was somewhat disappointed in the interview there, when when Matt said um, there was no plans right now for like relapse is just going to put the digital. It's it's just coming. This this last son of Krypton is only coming out digitally right now. 
It's available up on YouTube for streaming, but do yourself a favor, go to Bandcamp, search out Matt Harvey, throw a couple bucks to the man, and uh, and buy a digital copy of The Last Son of Krypton. But I'm kind of disappointed, and I want all of our listeners to get on the horn with Relapse, okay, and say, hey, what the fuck? Let's get a vinyl copy of this great new record out because I want, okay, in my record collection, like I have all these wicked soundtracks, the Star Wars, the stuff from Goblin, Close Encounters, you know, the new MASH record, that that new MASH one and all that. How sweet it would be to see a Matt Harvey record in amongst my vinyls next to all of those awesome records. Ooh. You know, I think you're onto something here because if if they if they went from the mindset of let's really do something special, right? So they're calling this the last son of Krypton. So you go out and you get one of the DC artists, somebody who's worked on Superman, and mm-hmm. you design the record. I mean, you know, let's 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 be really crazy here since you know we can say whatever we want. But you design a mini comic to go in with the vinyl. Right? There we go. And make it a gatefold vinyl. Even, even if it's a single record, make it a gatefold so you've got all the space for art. Tell the story. I mean, fuck, tell a comic book story right there. And then you could even like include like a mini comic like inside or something. But I mean, like, I would think if you did something like that and maybe put it up for 50 bucks... 500 um, presses, you know, like very limited for 50 mm-hmm. bucks. I feel like you would sell out and, you know, you wouldn't be left with, with any straggling inventory and the people that got it would be so insanely happy with it. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. And we know DC is up to doing stuff like that because of the uh, the Dark Knight death metal soundtrack, oh, quote yeah. unquote, soundtrack. Yeah. You know, which I still have yet to get. That's definitely on the list. As well, so yeah, yeah. There, there you go. Give everyone, give uh, give give relapse a shout and say, hey, let's get this done. That would be really cool. Another thing we need to get done here is tonight's indie spotlight. We're always on the lookout for fresh new talent. Check out this indie spotlight. This week's Indie Spotlight, I want to introduce everyone to Montreal Meddler's Cro-Magnum. Really, really cool stuff. Their um, latest release, Born Free, available now. This came across my desk, gave it a spin. Hey, hey, this is some pretty cool stuff. I think um, that our listeners need to get into their ear holes, so... Without further ado, how about we go with the title track? This is Born Free from Montreal's Cro-Magnum in this week's Indie Spotlight.
Facebook.com slash Cro-Magnum as well. Cro-Magnum1.bandcamp.com to get all of your Cro-Magnum goodness and what goodness it is. Well, dude, I think it's uh, just about that time to bring this crazy train into the station to get us... On out of here, one of the some of the releases that I forgot to mention in my metal fixes, I grabbed two two seven inches of the straight edge hardcore band Get the Most. Let's go out on a track from them. How about um, the medley of the intro and the song Think It Through from the Moment in Time EP. How can uh, people get a hold of us? Well, dear snowman, radioactivemetal.org. That has all the episodes, all the stuff, everything you're looking for. Go there. Listen. Enjoy it. Listen with friends. Because this should be a social thing. Like, where you pause our bullshit and then have your own bullshit conversation. Be like, these two are full of shit. <laughs> like, what are they even saying? And then you guys, like, trash talk us. Like, because that's the whole point of this, right? Like, we all get together and we say a whole bunch of bullshit. And that's why we all listen to this stuff in the first place. So, go there. If you want to see pictures for stuff, Rad Metal 666 is our Instagram. It's also our Twitter um, I keep trying to do something on Twitter, but like I don't even read Twitter like I used to anymore. So I wouldn't right. hold your breath. But if you're a completist and you need the comple- com- collection, like it's there. Facebook.com slash rad metal. Or no, Facebook.com is radioactive metal, isn't it? Mm, Facebook is rad metal, yeah. Okay, is it rad metal? Okay. So Facebook.com slash rad metal. And then drop us a line, radmetal666 at gmail.com. Um, if you are interested in playing the Shadows of well, not Shadows of Innistrad, the Innistrad Midnight Hunt, if you want to get into some werewolf um, games here, let me know uh, because I uh, I would certainly be up for you know making some new friends on the MTG arena. So you know, hit us up there. I was. Um, texting snowy earlier this week trying to get him to install it on his phone or a tablet and get him playing this game right so um you know because i i think I, I think the two of us could probably put on like a fun twitch stream where we play this game we just talk metal shit you know all right or, that like, sounds like, cool yeah. yeah i think it could be a lot of fun like dude like like i was i was telling telling my buddy like the art for this game i just want this or I, I want to have the art on my walls i love it so much but that's not what we're talking about right now so anyway rad metal 666 at gmail to drop us a line um you can hit us up at facebook you know twitter instagram all those sort of things it's instagram and facebook are where you're going to see the most pictures you know mm-hmm. and so like when snowy talks about his coffee date go go to those places because that's where i find him like oh look at this Snowy and the Misses, look what they're doing tonight, you know. Um, you can hear us all sorts of places, right? So if you go to the internet and look for us, we are everywhere. We're like the glitter of podcasts. Like, you, you find us in the strangest <laughs> places, you know, uh-huh. think we're there. So, you know, the regulars, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, all that sort of stuff. But then thanks to the fabulous folks at the Shiny Wizards Network, shiningwizardsnetwork.com sorry I had to breathe there um, <laughs> breathing is good what was I going to say like 
I'm just sir, sir, such this, a jazz today. ShiningWizardsNetwork.com. ShiningWizardsNetwork.com. Thanks to those fabulous folks. We are not only on all these other places that we're not even 100% sure where we're at because we're everywhere. Um, you can also find us on Spotify. So if you go to ShiningWizardsNetwork.com, you can link out there. You can also go to Spotify, search for Shining Wizards Network, and we're part of the fabulous family of podcasts that are there. It's part of mm-hmm. the network. And we're proud to be um, a part of that because there's just really good people. You know, like we talk about True Cult Coffee at the top of the show and he's good people and, you know, really cares about what he does. Man, same with the guys in the Shiny Wizards Network. Like Tony, um, he jumped on when I was trying to test some stuff the one night and damn, is he a good time. Like I remember, mm-hmm. I just put on like, hey, anybody who's willing to jump on here and test, here's what we're trying to do right now. Son of a bitch, he's right there, you know, jumping in like, okay, how do we do this? You know, and I was trying to test like bring on callers and that sort of stuff. And I bring him on. It's the first time we ever talked like we'd never, ever met or talked. And we just had a great time. So much. That sounds like Tony. Yeah. Yeah. So I just we, we, we love those guys. We're proud to be a part of that. And I believe that's all of our contacts. Right. That's pretty much everything for sure. For sure. In the event, though. I'm an old schooler, okay? We're talking about live tapes and demo tapes and all that. You want to kind of relive those glory days with your cool Uncle Snowy. Get a hold of us, of course, and let's trade, you know, our snail mail addresses, and we can communicate that way for our um, Indie Spotlight as well. Going back to the old demo days, you get your band... Maybe your buddy's band or whatever. You set me up with a cassette, an old-fashioned demo tape, okay, of your band, your your buddy's band and all that. And, of course, let me know where I can grab the digital as well. We will, because you took the time, the energy, and brought us back to those glory days of yore, we will knock your band up to the top of the list for the Indie Spotlight because, dude, like, Okay, people don't see this, but the lineup of of you know of bands waiting to get on our indie spotlight is huge, and it gets bigger every day. Everyone, all these great bands, all want to get you know to get in on the action. You you'd go above and beyond like that. You deserve it. You definitely deserve it. So keep all of that in mind. In the meantime, and in between time. That's it. This has definitely been a super duper episode of Radioactive Metal. I'm Snowy White. <laughs> this is Aaron. So, what? Super, super duper. <laughs> it's a super duper episode for sure. Like if, if you said that at the beginning, it didn't even register. And then all of a sudden it just hit me because like the last son of Krypton, I'm like, I'm like how does he get this shit by me? It's great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I, ne- I I literally never know what to expect every week. Everybody, like, <laughs> right that's part part of the fun of this show. Like it's Definitely. literally every week's a surprise. Right on, right on. Signing off. <laughs>